Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here, too. And today we're going to make some joyful noise together (laughs) here on Stuff You Should Know. That's right. I just poured myself a cup of ambition. Uh Uh-huh. I had a few of those this morning. Before we dive into Dolly Parton land, we should talk about our tour really quick, because we're looking to sell some more tickets, specifically, well, everywhere, but specifically D.C. and Toronto, right? Yeah, for the whole the whole shebang, we're going to be in D.C., Boston, and then Toronto, May 4th, 5th, and 6th, right? That's right, and there are plenty of great seats available. Uh, this is a really good show, I think one of the best ones we've done in a long time. And uh, if you're in the Northeast, like, this is it. We're not doing New York this year. Very sorry, New York. Mm-hmm. But if you live in the Northeast, this is, this is your chance, because we're— Doing the southeast in the fall, and and that's this is your opportunity. I think that's a great angle for this marketing campaign here, Chuck. Yeah, northeast or bust. Okay, so that's enough about us, everybody. We're here to really talk about Dolly. Yeah, so Livia helped us with this one, and you know we've remarked about how Livia is getting great at titling mm-hmm. the articles, even though she doesn't even have to. Right. She does it because she's creative and talented, uh, and her title for this is "Why Does Everyone Love Dolly Parton." <laughs> And we're going to explain that. But I I think the easiest thing to say is since the 1970s, this is a woman who has basically just put goodness into the world at every turn. Yeah, for sure. I was reading an interview with her in Rolling Stone from 1980, like nine to five had just come out. And you might as well have told me it was from 2023. Yeah, she just she's been the same way this whole time. Like she, she doesn't like get into any political stuff. She said, I'm not political. I won't talk about politics. She doesn't, yeah. she leaves hot button issues alone, but if it means something to her, it's really meaningful. She'll, she'll come out on, you know, in favor of it, endorsing it, but she doesn't put anything down. She might support something, but she's not going to put anything down publicly. Yeah. So the other kind of funny thing about this one from Livia is uh, she always includes her sources and she may have broken her own source record. Yeah, there's a lot. Oh, boy. There were probably 100 sources, uh, Mm -hmm. but we did want to mention one in particular uh, because I listened to this uh, from Jad Abumrad, uh, the great Jad Abumrad of Radiolab fame, Mm -hmm. uh, like four years ago put out the wonderful series Dolly Parton's America. Yeah. And Livia binged it, and I listened to it back then, and back then I was like, oh, man, I want to do an episode on Dolly Parton, but it's like Jad did it, like he covered it so well, like what's the point kind of thing. Right. Uh, but now four years on, I was like, well, we can give it the stuff you should know treatment, which is to say <laughs> n- not as <laughs> not as deep a dive. Uh, but it's a great series. If you want to learn more about Dolly Parton, then check out Dolly Parton's America. Very nice. And then just to button up, Chuck, we were trying to answer that question. Why does everybody love Dolly? Mm-hmm. I, I came up with another hypothesis, too. Um, okay. And it's that, you know, when when somebody is like. They can be anything anybody wants them to be. Like they, they're interpretable from all different angles. So everybody yeah. just assumes they're like them. Mm-hmm. Dolly is not like that. Uh-huh. She is her own person who can't be pigeonholed into or, one or box forged. or another, right? <laughs> but she's likable from all sides. Yeah. 
Like, find someone that's going to talk smack about Dolly Parton. And then you and I are going to have a discussion in the parking lot with that guy. (laughs) It's a sad state of affairs, though, dude, because there's think pieces all over the Internet about how it's just amazing that everybody doesn't hate Dolly Parton. And it's like, good God, like, this is what What? we've come to. Like, everybody hates everybody casually. So, I mean, how has she escaped it so long? And it's just like such a sad state of affairs that that's normalized by even writing pieces like that. But they're out there for sure. But the upshot of it is... People are amazed that people don't hate Dolly Parton. And it's true. People don't hate Dolly Parton. Yeah. And she's she's someone that is so, I think, kind of uni- universally beloved and internationally beloved that, um, as you'll see later in this episode, there she's been studied by anthropologists and sociologists. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. Uh, and so let's let's start at the beginning, shall we? Wait, hold on. One more thing. (laughs) Yeah. More praise. The other thing about her I think that's so amazing and so remarkable is that she, this is the reason why everybody's just so fascinated with her right now. She's maybe the one person Mm -hmm. who is straddling both sides of the political and social divide as wide as it is in the United States today and is not, is not like hanging on by her fingernails. She's like, my, I got a foot here, and I'm not lying about it. Got a foot here, I'm not lying about that either. I'm not. Right. I'm not trying to fool either side. This is this is what I'm into, and and uh, you know I like both of you basically. It's almost like being a genuine human who, 100% stays true to who they are, is something we should all aspire to. Sure, but it also shows <laughs> she shows that that's such a rarity in this world. Yeah. That, that you can be globally beloved by just doing that. And also yeah. making, like, a ton of really great music, too. Well, yeah. I mean, come on. We're going to talk about all this stuff. Um, but can we go back to the beginning now? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. Uh, hey, never apologize about singing the praises of Dolly Parton. That's a great rule of thumb. Stuff you should know motto. Uh, and I just can't wait till we get to the Dollywood stuff because you, you've been mm-hmm. and I have not. Um, all right. So she was born, uh, Dolly Rebecca Parton. Uh, in 1946, in January uh, 19th of 1946, mm-hmm. in rural Tennessee. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Is it Sevier County? I think it's Sevier. Oh, it's it's just Sevier. I'm almost positive it's Sevier. Okay, S-E-V-I-E-R. Mm-hmm. And see, immediately, this is, uh, I'm sure Jad's episode pronounced it perfectly <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. I don't remember. threw his face into his palm like these guys. <laughs> Uh, but she was born to a big family of 12 kids and it's kind of fun to look up photos of, uh, Dolly and all her siblings because, you know, a few of her sisters look a lot like her. Um, all her brothers look like, you know, they should be like shooting pool down at the pool hall, Yeah, you know, all very just sort of genuine article, Smoky Mountain, Tennessee foothills people. Yeah, for sure. And there were 12 of them. Did you say? Twelve sibs, including her. And she was the fourth. Yeah, the fourth of 12. And all 14 people in her family lived in a two-room cabin. And I've seen a replica of this cabin, and it is no joke, a two-room cabin, and 14 people lived in it in the Smoky Mountains. You mean two bedrooms with an office, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, two two rooms, my friend, with the outhouse, no running water, no electricity. Like, she grew up as as Smoky Mountain, as a Smoky Mountain person can grow up. Like, even people in other parts of Tennessee are like, wow. Yeah. (laughs) But she said she had a great childhood running around, just being outside. And and because she was the fourth of 12, she wasn't particularly, like, paid attention to. So she could just kind of go off and do her own thing. Yeah, I get the idea that they were semi-feral sort of mm-hmm. mountain kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, her granddad was a Pentecostal minister, very fiery and brimstony, and she still, you know, mentions God a lot. Um, I get the sense that she's a little less overtly religious, but spirituality is still very much a, a mainstay in her life. Yeah, I think it's more of a personal relationship between her and God. Yeah, which is how it's supposed to be. So she really lucked out because she had an uncle named Bill Owens, who was a musician, a songwriter, who noticed that she wanted to get into music from a very young age and was maybe the only person in her entire life or her early life that that noticed and then nurtured it. And she later said when he died a few years back at his funeral, like she wouldn't be here today if it wasn't him. Like she owed him everything because he nurtured it in her. He encouraged her. He supported her when she got rejected. 
and he helped her break into the business. So Bill Owens was a huge influence in her life, but he noticed, like I said, from a very early age, I think she wrote her first song when she was five. Yeah, Little Tiny Tasseltop <laughs> uh, about her homemade corn husk doll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she would pretend, you know, she would get a, a tobacco stick and a tin can and act like it was her microphone and mic stand. And mm-hmm. she would sing for the chickens in her yard and had obviously a real talent from the beginning. Um, if you listen to her very first recording, Puppy Love mm-hmm. from 1959, it sounds like, you know, 13 year old Dolly Parton. You know, you can hear her. Dolly in that young voice. Uh, and like I said, she was 13, and that was the same year that she made her very first appearance at the Grand Ole Opry, mm-hmm. introduced by none other than Johnny Cash. Yeah, who was her first big crush. So it was even amaz- more amazing for her. Unbelievable. That her family didn't get to see it, though, because Dolly Parton was on TV before her family had a TV at home. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Um, oh, was it on TV back cool. then? I believe she, there was a TV appearance. Yes. No. Oh, okay. Um, and if it was, if that one wasn't the she, the first, whenever it was, she was on TV first. It, her family still didn't have a TV back then. Gotcha. So um, thanks to uh, Uncle Billy taking her around and banging on doors, she ended up making a, her, her debut on Mercury Records in 1962, which is nothing to mm-hmm. sneeze at. But I get the impression that it wasn't like her. It wasn't like a, a like a okay. This is a serious recording contract. It's like a, right. okay, let's let's test this girl out. Back then, they called any woman in country music a girl singer. Right. So she was a bit of a novelty, not just because of her age, but because she was a, a woman as well. But she had her sight set on becoming a country music star. And so the day after she graduated high school, the day after she graduated high school, she got on a bus for Nashville and moved there. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Nineteen sixty four. Uh, and very soon after she moved there, she met a man that would become her husband and uh, a mainstay in her life to this day, who is remarkably hard to find stuff about. Uh, his name is Carl Dean. Mm-hmm. They met very famously at a laundromat when she was 18 and he was 21, mm-hmm. uh, married a couple of years later. And I think a lot of people that don't know a lot about uh, Dolly Parton think she might be single or something. Uh, because she never had kids, but she's been married to Carl Dean since 1966, and he just he doesn't want to be in the limelight. He never did. He's her biggest fan and supporter. She's always said, you know, off the stage, mm-hmm. but he he just doesn't want any part of the limelight. And it's hard to even find a lot of pictures of this guy. There's a handful out there, but he started a an asphalt laying business in the late 70s. Still runs that business today. Oh, really? Which is just amazing, and. Yeah, I read an article from a couple of years ago. She was like, you know, Carl and I, we like to run errands. She said, we go to the, the 24-hour stores, you know, in the middle of the night, like Walmart and places. Mm-hmm. And she said, and there are fewer people there to come up to me. And she said, and I don't mind it. I love people. She said, I just don't want it to get in the way of our shopping. Right. And, you know, Carl's not wild about it. So they just live a very simple kind of pure life together, I think, outside the limelight. Yeah, I've read an interview with her somewhere, and she said that, in her opinion, if she's out in public, that time belongs to her fans. So she's yeah. not; she doesn't have a problem with people coming up to her, um, asking for autographs. She f- knows that she's out in public, and that's a risk that she runs, right? Sure. But her her leisure time, her time away, is like secluded off with Carl. Just the two of them usually. Maybe yeah. uh, she has a very close best friend. I can't remember her name. And they 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 go everywhere together. So she's almost like a stand-in for Carl when Dolly's traveling around. Yeah, and she's always been very, her persona is very flirty, and she's always sort of flirted around with, I've, in fact, no friends that have uh, worked on, like, commercial shoots with her. Mm-hmm. And they were like, man, she's the biggest flirt you would ever know. <laughs> and that's just her personality. And she said that Carl understands that, and that's just how she sort of has fun and relates to people, and it's always very innocent. And uh, I just think it's kind of kind of cute and fun. Yeah, for sure. I want her to flirt with me, you know, I think is what I'm saying. <laughs> this this episode might be your big break, Chuck. Yeah. So um, would you just like turn bright red and like dig your the toe of your foot into the I kind of am a little bright red. I thought it was the stuff you should know sign in here casting a, a red beam on my face. But. <laughs> no, it's you thinking about being flirted with by Dolly Parton. I know. Well, dude, I grew up as you did, but I'm a, you know, a little bit older. Like the heyday of early Dolly was when I was a kid. And of course, my mm-hmm. dad was in love with her and. You know, it was just she was one of the biggest stars in the world. And my parents were kind of into country music. So she was 
just sort of prevalent in our household somehow. Yeah, my introduction to her was through 9 to 5. And my mom, that that whole message and the idea behind it was right up my mom's alley. So she would watch it with her hands clasped together Uh (laughs) at the side of her face. I love that. Just an adoration of everybody, including Dolly Parton, too. I think um, my family was never really into country music. So I think that that was like a big introduction and probably a win over for my family was 9 to 5. Uh, all right. Well, we'll talk about nine to five and crossover success more. It's a good setup, but how about we take a break? Yes. And we'll be right back with more Dolly Parton. All right. Game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so we're talking about Dolly becoming a star. Like, she's had a couple record contracts, nothing serious, though. But then in 1965, she signed with Monument Records. Uh, That was her her first big record contract, I, I read. But they wanted her to be a pop singer, which is kind of ironic because she actually would kind of become a pop singer later on in her career. But at first she was like, no way. Like, have you seen my house? And do you know how many people are in my family? (laughs) I'm not a pop singer. I'm a country singer, right? So she persisted and and hung in there and they ended up um, like folding and uh, giving in. And she went on to become a full-fledged country singer. Yeah, in 1967, her first record, Hello, I'm Dolly, uh, which is just great how they used to do records like that and title mm-hmm. them like that uh, when you, like, introduce her to the world. Um, but, you know, as would become a thing, like, in her career, most of the songs that she's well-known for, most of the songs she's recorded, she's done, you know, plenty of covers because everyone does that, especially in country music. But mm-hmm. she is most well-known as a songwriter. Uh, and we'll we'll get into that more in a little bit. But she wrote uh, two now, I, Libya has a number 24, but I, I saw that they were both top 20 oh, really? in the country charts. Wow. Uh, Dumb Blonde, which is written by a guy named Curly Putman. <laughs> Great name. Yeah. And uh, Something Fishy, written by Dolly. And I think the album itself 
was a top 20 hit. Her debut right it's off, crazy. you know, in the country charts, yeah. uh, right, right off out of the gate. Yes. I was looking up something fishy, and it's about a woman who's um, become convinced that her husband's fishing trips aren't actually fishing trips and that he's running around on her. <laughs> yeah. So one of the lines is, I guess some largemouth bass left that lipstick on your shirt. I don't think you're a fisherman, honey. I think you're a flirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's like perfect debut dolly. Like yeah. at what age? Like 19, I think is how old she yeah. was. Yeah, uh-huh. it's pretty great. Uh, and Porter Wagoner is someone that we talked about on our Grand Ole Opry show. Um, and he had the Porter Wagoner show. Mm-hmm. He hires young Dolly to replace his other uh, young woman sidekick singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, she elevated the show to the point where it was a number one, the number one syndicated show in the country, radio show. Right. And they started doing duets together and albums together, uh, including their first one, Just Between You and Me, in 1968. Yeah, and they started touring a lot, too. And she learned a tremendous amount about touring, performing live, the, the music business. Everything she needed to learn early on uh, came from um, touring with Porter Wagner. But he was also really well aware that he had like a, a, a real cash register on his hands. Yeah. And he kept her under his thumb as much as, as he could, both emotionally blackmailing her, I get the impression, but also locking her into just really exploitive contracts because – she might not have known what she was signing. She probably did and just figured like, okay, at least it's going to help me get to where I'm going. That's yeah. the likelier explanation if you ask me. But he was definitely in charge for uh, the first many years of her, her serious career. Yeah, but because she's Dolly Parton and so beloved, mm-hmm. uh, when they eventually broke up their relationship, I think it was kind of rough. Uh, and she ended up writing a song, I Will Always Love You about that relationship and ultimately they worked it out and she reconciled and was at his deathbed with his family and it was kind of one of those no hard feelings kind of situations oh really i read that his last dying words were i'll never forgive you (laughs) that's what i'm gonna say on my deathbed no i'm just gonna like wave my finger around the room to everybody standing there and we're all gonna be like is he talking about me (laughs) exactly you guys can spend the rest of your lives figuring it out and Yumi will just look at me and say, he's talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Uh, so they, uh, while they were a duet, oh, wait, she wait, also— wait, Chuck, wait, wait, hold on. Yes. One more thing. You uh-huh. brought up I Will Always Love You, which everybody yeah. knows. One of probably of her most, one of her most famous songs. Arguably her other most famous song, Jolene. Oh, great song. She apparently wrote those songs on the same day, start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, she she now says, like— you know, if it wasn't the same day, it was in the within a couple of days of each other. But e- like either way, mm-hmm. it's remarkable. Yeah, and it's possible it was the same day. She just doesn't remember. Yeah, but that really like kind of goes to show what kind of uh, she she was drinking cups of ambition left and right apparently. Because right. <laughs> not only is, is that story potentially true, she also put out twenty five albums. Yeah, both duets with Porter Wagner and then some solo albums. In the five-year period between five 1968 years. and 1973. Yeah, I mean, that's remarkable. She started, um, and that's kind of where I was headed anyway, she kind of started recording her own solo stuff uh, as she was, you know, it was kind of obvious. She just had, she was too prolific of a songwriter. I mean, she supposedly, her quote is that she's written more than 3,000 songs and three of them are good. Uh She's also humble, another reason people love Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she had too much to say early on, and so started making solo records while she was still with uh, Wagoner. And it was in that that time period, I think in the early 70s, is when you know those iconic songs, Jolene and I Will Always Love You, came out. Right, but still under the tutelage of Porter Wagner, right? Yeah, I mean, those are solo albums. And I think I Will Always Love You was about them splitting apart, so it was— Sort of right there at the end, I think. It definitely was. And I, I heard a story years back that he said, okay, I'll let you out of your contract if you let me produce this amazing song. And oh, she, that, she that agreed song? To it. Yeah, I will always wow. love you, right? And then apparently he turned around and sued her anyway for breach of contract. But she she got <laughs> out of it. She got out of this, this, this uh, terrible contract, this exploitive contract. She got out from under a very domineering uh, mentor, and this is a really big time of transition for her because not only did she 
uh, get away from Porter Wagner, which was enormous because in, in a sense, um, she was like a pinball that had just been plunged when uh-huh. she was released from, from Porter Wagner, just looking for like the, the next bumper to just shoot her off in another direction. <laughs> wow, that's nice. my analogy, buddy. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. But she also had to break up with her family band. Like they were her original backing band. She had yeah. to be like, I, I got to get better musicians, you guys. And she made some really hard decisions but they they ended up paying off, and from what I understand, there were no lasting hard feelings from it. Yeah, that's pretty great. Um, she hosted a TV show for one season, just like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Dolly. You know, back then they had all those great variety shows. Uh, this was seventy six into seventy seven, and then a very important uh, man comes into her life by the name of uh, Sandy Gallen, who was a Uber manager, uh, got the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, would later manage Michael Jackson and mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand mm-hmm. and Cher. And Sandy Gallen was a, a pretty instrumental person for a couple of reasons. One is um, kind of encouraging the crossover success. Yeah. Like he booked her at the bottom line in the Greenwich Village who, you know, everyone from Springsteen to Lou Reed were playing there. Like Andy Warhol came and watched her show. There's an awesome picture of them sitting together. Yeah, talk about crossover. Yeah, exactly. And she was nervous. I saw that she was nervous on the on the way to being scared. I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, he had her tour Europe, exposed her internationally. Um, uh, he uh, took her to Studio 54, which is probably where she also hung out with Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other big reason is that Sandy Gallen was gay. Uh, he died like five years ago, and this was... Um, a very instrumental relationship, and and I get the impression, you know, Dolly is very famous for uh, being a, sort of an icon in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, from very and, early on. Yeah, and it, and it seems like uh, this is kind of where it all started was um, having this relationship with Sandy, and you know, just the the gay community wrapping their arms around her early on. Uh, not necessarily because you know she had a gay manager, but you know, I don't think it hurt. Right. And uh, the New York Times wrote that she got a warm welcome in San Francisco from transgender fans um, and, quote, other exotic urban cult audiences. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dolly's always said, you know, she's one of those love is love types. And, uh, you know, it's just like it's the way to live life. Like she doesn't judge people mm-hmm. and she never has. And she's always just embraced like whatever community wants to love her music. Like, why would she? I, I never get it when people like intentionally sort of turn audiences off. Right. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, for sure. But also like it's, that's so true and it's so prevalent when, when you read about her or watch interviews with her or just listen to her talk, you're almost like, what's your angle, Dolly? Right. <laughs> what are you really up to here? Uh, her big uh, crossover hit was Here You Come Again which was considered a pop song. I mean, I've always kind of th- thought it was a country song, I guess, because her voice is in it, and she insisted on uh, steel guitar, uh, so it still had a little country tinge to it. But it's like but a perfect it was a song. It's a perfect crossover. Like, it's yeah. exactly perfectly balanced. Like, there couldn't have been a better song to transition from full-on country singer to country pop singer. Yeah, and what are, it went number one on the country chart, number three... On the pop charts, mm-hmm. album went platinum, and this is you know the late seventies when she really, really, really blew up. Yeah, that was that. She just took off like a rocket from there. Um, one of the things that she did very wisely uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, right around this time, was just hop on the the um, TV circuit. Yeah, she's been on at least a few hundred. TV appearances, mm-hmm. but a lot of them took place in the 70s and 80s when she was just making herself known, making herself a household name. Uh, and none of this was by accident. Like, she's 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 wanted to, to be an, a mega star since she was a kid, and this was part of—she she apparently makes a lot of lists, um, and they turn out to kind of be five-year plans, and I'm sure oh, getting on the talk show circuit was part of one yeah. of those lists— and that you know? explains why, as a kid growing up in the 70s, I saw a lot of Dolly Parton. Exactly. She was everywhere. Dolly wanted you to see a lot of Dolly Parton. <laughs> uh, in the 80s is when she continued uh, some of her uh, collaborations with other artists. 
very famously with Kenny Rogers with Islands in the Stream. Huge, massive hit. Haven't heard it. <laughs> uh, and then 1987, my favorite uh, collaboration at least came out, and maybe my favorite Dolly stuff, period. Oh, yeah? Uh, was the album Trio, yeah, that she recorded with Linda Ronstadt and Emmylou Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, just three of the best voices in the history of music coming together to sing together. Uh, they ended up making three albums over the years together. Uh, so if you haven't listened to any of this stuff, highly recommend Trio from 1987. She also released some bluegrass albums in the late 90s. Um, the Grass is Blue, Little Sparrow, Halos, and Horns. And then um, she released her first Christmas album in 30 years back in 2020, A Holly Dolly Christmas, <laughs> which uh, is pretty good. It's cute. Um, but I think the best Christmas album she released was Once Upon a Christmas in 1984. <laughs> with a lot yeah. of Kenny Rogers on it. I made a joke this last Christmas on uh, Instagram. I think that like probably 50% of Dolly Parton's Christmas songs are mm-hmm. about sex. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Or there's like sexual overtones. It's right, exactly. Funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. But that um, that 1984 album has Hard Candy Christmas on it, which is, well, I mean, you have it. <laughs> maybe your best, her best one, if you ask me. Great song. Uh, all right, so now let's talk a little bit more about her songwriting. Uh, I think that's the thing that she's sort of most proud of. Um, she said in uh, a 2020 book, uh, if I had to choose just one thing to be, I would choose to be a songwriter. Um, she's always said that she loves writing from the male point of view. She loves writing songs for men mm-hmm. because a lot of her songs are sort of narrative story type songs. Uh, and she's written a lot of big, huge hits for people like Merle Haggard and Kenny Rogers and Hank Williams Jr. and Mm -hmm. all kinds of dudes. Right. She also plays a bunch of instruments. The guitar, she says, is her strongest. And there's a lot of other string instruments that she can play. I saw Mm -hmm. a video of one of her concerts. She's got a banjo slung around her. Yeah. like She's got a strap hanging from a strap while she's playing a fiddle really fast. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) But if you really want to be amazed by Dolly, you should watch her play the saxophone. And in particular, in, at the Glastonbury Music Festival in 2014 in the UK, in front of a crowd of 100,000, she it's busted out Yakety Sax, yeah. the <laughs> Benny Hill theme song, and it just yeah. killed, killed. It did. That whole show is a fun watch because it's, you know, it's in it's at the Glastonbury Festival, and it's like, I don't know, I, I think her legendary status just, like, grew with that appearance. Oh, yeah. Like, she was, you know, kind of a cult favorite in the U.K., and then she became, like, a, a like a pop culture favorite after that show. Yeah. Uh, 9 to 5, the movie that you mentioned before in mm-hmm. 1980, is when she got into movie making. And it is a movie, boy, not only does it hold up today, but it is it was ahead of its time and, like, even more relevant today than it probably was then. Which is sad, if you stop and think about it. No, no, totally sad. But it was based on an actual movement called 9 to 5, the 9 to 5 movement from the early 70s uh, that I guess Jane Fonda was aware of um, because she was one of the creators behind the movie 9 to 5. And uh, that was an actual, like, movement led by secretaries starting in Boston, and it spread around the country. And they were um, protesting sexual harassment, low pay, getting passed Mm -hmm. over promotions. And they had a great uh, slogan that I saw. Raises, not roses. Raises, not roses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it, too. Like, I talk don't about a flowers. great T-shirt. Exactly. How about some money? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll buy my own flowers. Right. I can buy my own flowers. Yeah, that's what the back of the T-shirt said. Mm-hmm. And then parentheses, quit pinching my butt. Plus, also, that's a Miley Cyrus song. Who is Dolly Parton's goddaughter? That's right. Yeah. And Dolly credits that relationship with the fact that millennials love Dolly. Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of this. So everybody knows, even I know, that Miley Cyrus was Hannah Montana on Nickelodeon mm-hmm. from, I think, yeah. 2006 to 2011, right? Um, and she would have Dolly on here or there as Aunt Dolly, like her aunt, Hannah Montana's aunt. And I guess, like, millennials just grew up watching that, and that she just exposed herself not literally, but figuratively, <laughs> to an entirely new generation, and it stuck. Like that's that's yeah. how they that's how they met Dolly, and they just kept following her and loving her from that point on. I love it. Me too. Uh, she was in a bunch of movies over the years. Uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Burt Reynolds, of course. Uh, part of the ensemble in Steel Magnolias. Uh, very disappointingly, Livia doesn't mention 
my favorite Dolly, second favorite Dolly Parton movie, huh. uh, which was Rhinestone with mm. Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. One of my big HBO movies early on. I watched that thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Stallone sings. Have you ever seen it? No, I never have. I turned <laughs> I turned the TV off after Life Force. Uh, <laughs> uh, you should check out Rhinestone because st- she, you know, the the premise is she's uh, to make a country star out of Sylvester Stallone, mm-hmm. and he has a song in there called Drinkenstein instead of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And the chorus is Budweiser, you've created a monster, and they call him Drinkenstein. <laughs> wow! But Stallone really sings, and it's just. I think it's known probably as a bad movie, but it has a very special place in my heart. It sounds like the prequel to Tulsa King. (laughs) So um, she also, did you mention Sand Dollar yet? No. She founded a production company with Sandy Gallen, um, her longtime manager and friend. And they went on to produce movies like Father of the Bride. Yeah. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Yeah. She also did uh, Straight Talk, which she was in. Um, where she plays a, a, a woman who accidentally becomes a radio host and, of course, just shoots into the stratosphere in popularity. I never saw that. Oh, yeah. It was it was okay. Okay. <laughs> Not her best work, but still. She was amazing in Steel Magnolias. I mean, like, if you, Shelby. If, if you go back and, and, yeah, if you go back and watch some of those scenes between her and her husband in particular, yeah. it's she's a really good actress. No, she's good. Uh, and in fact, but the Shelby I just did was more uh, Sally Field. Mm, now mm-hmm. that I think about it. I detected a hint of Sally Field in there. Uh, all right. I think let's take another break okay. and then we'll, uh, this one's going to go a little long, but that's okay. Because uh, we're about to dive into Dollywood right after this. Shelby. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my friend, here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll set it up with how it starts, and then you can just take over because you've actually been there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but in an interview in 1982 with uh, Barbara Walters, Dolly Parton said something about being interested in opening up a theme park back home. Yeah. And there was a theme park, uh, Silver Dollar City in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And the owners, uh, Jack and Pete Hershend, heard this interview, <laughs> gave her a call and was like, let's get together on this. And they did to great success. Yeah. Four years later, Dollywood opened. It reopened as Dollywood, I should say. Um, just that first year, they doubled their um, entries to, to 1.3 million people coming. Yeah. Um, and that's not just a full year. Like it snows and everything kind of shuts down uh, in the wintertime in, in, in Pigeon Forge or in the Smokies. So um, I'm guessing they crammed a lot of those people in in a very short amount of time, probably summer. I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent, but it just seemed important it's called when I started. how theme parks work. <laughs> right. <laughs> they close in the winter. <laughs> Be quiet, you. So, um, so it was a success right out of the gate, I should say. And little known fact, or it's a rumor that a lot of people don't realize is actual fact. There, she, they buried a time capsule there on opening day, and oh. it contains an unreleased Dolly song. No way. That, that is not to be opened until I think she's 99 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. Which is, what, what is she now, 76? 78, I think. Okay, so it's it's close. Yeah, we can Until wait. She sees it. Yeah. Oh, we'll wait. So tell me about Dollywood. I want to. I want to know more. So it is a. You can definitely believe that it used to be a silver dollar city. They preserved mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. There's a coal-fired um, train that kind of takes you around on some neat vistas and everything. There's. Um, we went. In, we went around Christmas time, which kind of <laughs> undermines my argument about things shutting down in the winter. Um, we went for Yumi's birthday, actually, like one year. And um, there was like a Christmas show where there was like singing and dancing, but it was so corny that I was waiting for everybody to be like, oh, you know, we're just joking. Here's the real right. show. <laughs> it never happened. It was just that like kitschy that and earnest, American yeah. and earnest. Yeah. And just corny. But it was very sweet in retrospect, especially hard to sit through, but very sweet. <laughs> um, and then there's just a lot of like people dipping candles. There's tons of food to eat. There's a, a, a roller coaster that neither Yumi nor I went on, but there's um, a museum <laughs> there that's closed temporarily because apparently they're reimagining it. But it was originally called the Chasing Rainbows Museum, and Dolly Parton is a just a self-professed pack rat. She saved everything, Chuck, mm-hmm. everything. The coat of many colors that she sings about, it's yeah. there. You can see it in real life right there. And it's the wow. tiniest, cutest little thing you've ever seen in your entire life. It's so tiny. And this it's is the coat so her sweet. mom made for her when she was a kid, right? Out of yeah. old rags. That she sang about in that coat of many colors. Yeah. And it's what a great song. But then just to, just to love that song and then see the actual coat and then just see how dinky it is. Uh-huh. It was just amazing. Those lists I told you she used to keep, she kept those. Those are on display wigs, rhinestones everywhere. But <laughs> it, it's it's not just like this ode or tribute to Dolly. It's a genuine, like, curated look into her whole career. And it's it was one of the best museums I've ever been to in my life of any kind. Why didn't you guys ride the roller coaster? We're both scared of roller coasters. Oh, I don't think I remembered that. Yes, I've been scared of roller coasters for decades, but I feel like I'm starting to come out of it. Okay. And I might go challenge myself and ride a few roller coasters this summer uh, and see if I'm correct or if I'm really, really wrong. Well, you should go to Six Flags with uh, Ruby and I because there's nothing like getting your courage worked up than a seven-year-old who will ride anything. Okay. Staring you in the face. (laughs) Okay. All right. I may use that. That's just the elixir I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. Because she'll go on whatever and she's just like, she wouldn't understand. She'd be like, why don't you want to go on it? What do you mean you're scared? <laughs> I don't. You're you're kind of ruining things for me. Uh, well, I want to go to Dollywood, so maybe we can go to Six Flags and then Dollywood and okay. just do a, a theme park roundup. I strongly recommend it because it, there's like all sorts of stuff in nearby Gatlinburg and Pigeon yeah, Forge. Of is like one of those Gatlinburg. Ripley's museums and just all sorts of just cool, super kitschy touristy stuff. I yeah. think. Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy who sings uh, "Proud to Be an American," Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood. Yeah. There's the Lee Greenwood Cafe where they, no joke, play that <laughs> oh, song. No. Oh no! On a loop, <laughs> over and over again the whole time. You're like, when's where's uh, the next song? They don't play the next song. I heard that song every night of the summer for like five summers when I worked at the Stone Mountain Laser Show. So oh yeah, I'll bet. I got my fill of it. Yeah. 
Uh, so we can talk a little bit more about her politics. She's, and this is where the sociologists and anthropologists come in. Uh, there's a sociologist named Tressie McMillan Cottom uh, that has written about how black women have always looked up to Dolly Parton as a role model, uh, even though she is like, it's a very specific sort of white Southern thing that she embodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, just, you know, testifies to her crossover appeal that she is to be admired by anybody. Um, her Q score, uh, if you don't know what a Q score is, it's a marketing tool that basically there's a bunch of things that go into your Q score, but it's basically how, how much people like you, how much they recognize your name. And her Q score is like legendarily one of the top Q scores of all time. Celebrity wise. She has a high positive Q score. They also do a negative Q score and she has a very low negative Q score. So she's among the most beloved and among the least disliked people in the entire world. Yeah, I don't want to know my Q score. I, I looked it up. We don't have one yet. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> but um, I was reading this article on the conversation, and these uh, two Australian marketing people were trying to figure out who would have been Australia's Dolly, and they landed on Hugh Jackman. And I'm like, I can't disagree with that. He's pretty likable. Sure, everybody likes Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, he, even though he did The Greatest Showman, right? <laughs> people still <laughs> like right. Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Uh, the anthropologist comes in, a man named Jonathan Zilberg in 1995, um, talked about how she was loved in Zimbabwe, of all places. And again, it's just like, you know, pick a pick a country, and chances are people there love Dolly Parton. And in Dolly Parton's America, and they talk about how Nelson Mandela, um, while he was in prison in South Africa, got his uh, jailers to play Jolene for the whole yeah. Whole jail, basically <laughs> yeah. all a um, Shawshank Redemption. Uh huh. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Uh, and like you said earlier, she she basically just avoids politics. She doesn't let any politician on either side use her music. Um, if a Democrat uses it, she shuts him down. If a Republican uses it, she shuts him down. Mm-hmm. She just sort of sidesteps all that stuff. Um, she's always um, been, you know, uh, growing up. Of course, in the seventies, there were a lot of playground jokes about Dolly Parton's breast size. Mm -hmm. She was very well known for it. And she's always been the first one to jump in and joke about it herself. Instead of being like the butt of the joke, she can just go along with it. And that's just, that's another really likable quality as someone who can, and can laugh at themselves and not take things too seriously. I also saw it put that she, um, she knows that these jokes are going to be made anyway, so she can diffuse them by getting out in front of them and topping, yeah. you know, the lame jokes that, like, old talk show hosts would make. Yeah. Um, I saw once she said that uh, she burned her bra, and it took the fire department three days to put it out. <laughs> like, that kind of stuff. That's hilarious. That was her joke? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's very funny. So, I think we mentioned this before. Do you know that um, Dolly the sheep, the first cloned animal on the planet yeah. was named Dolly because uh, it, she was grown from a mammary gland cell. Yeah. I can't remember where we talked about that. But it really just goes it. to show, like, that's how that's how ubiquitous Dolly Parton's boobs were in the 20th century. I know. <laughs> like, they were as big as she was, basically. Yeah. They were definitely no pun, part no of her. Intended. They were definitely part of her brand, for sure. Yeah. You know, she was smart enough to lean into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that she had done over the years is she. there are a lot of really dark songs that she's written about, uh, even though she's never kind of outright considered herself a feminist, she very much is. Uh, and a lot of the songs she's written over the years have been very dark songs about women who are either abandoned or suffering from sexual double standards. Or there's a one brutal song from 1970 called Daddy Come and Get Me mm-hmm. about a true story of a relative in her family that was basically institutionalized by her husband. So she's never been afraid to go down sort of in the tradition of the old sort of dark country murder ballad thing, go down these darker roads with some of the songs she's written. Yeah, I saw that she considers herself um, not a feminist, but in favor of all women. She's for all women. So it's like she doesn't subscribe to the movement part, but what the movement's ultimately about, she's totally in favor with. And that's super her. Um, she she made a very rare overt statement um, when she came out in, f- in support of Black Lives Matter at yeah. a really like at a time where it was like you're casting your lot one way or another. Um, and she stood up for it, um, which is pretty cool. She did. Uh, she also uh, in 2018, there was 
um, at Dollywood, the Dixie Stampede. Um, she changed the name to Dolly Parton Stampede after people complained about the the whole Dixie connotation mm-hmm. and Civil War theme. She changed that up, and she was just like, you know, I never really thought about you know the Confederate Im- imagery meaning what it meant to to people, and so she was hap- happily changed it. Uh, and that's just the kind of person she is, I think. And she got guff for that, and she got guff for supporting Black Lives Matter from some of her um, her right leaning fans. But she uh, she can always explain herself. You know, and she does so in such a great way that you're just kind of like, well, fine. It's hard to be. You can't keep a grudge against her, even if she goes against you politically. But she just so rarely does it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, She is uh, we're going to wind it down with her business and philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Um, Very savvy business person from the very beginning. Uh, She was smart enough to hang on to her um, the rights to her own music and never give them up. Even when Elvis Presley came calling. Yeah and wanted to cover I Will Always Love You, he wanted half the publishing rights, and she was like, no way. He Take a walk, Elvis Presley. He didn't. Apparently, Colonel Tom called her up on the morning of the scheduled recording session and sprung that on her, and she turned him down. And she well, said yeah. she was hoping that Elvis was, was as disappointed as she was. But that took a lot of gumption, especially to have it sprung on you like that. And she said, nope, not doing it. But that's totally. one of the things that made her so incredibly wealthy. Like, Apparently, her music catalog has a net worth of about $150 million and brings in about $6 to $8 million a year for her, according to, I think, Forbes. And then her stake in Dollywood is her her most valuable asset. I think it's like $165 million. Pretty neat. She has done quite well for herself. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She, I mean, these days, she's, she's not stopping either. She's... Um, she's on Duncan Hines buttermilk biscuit mix with her little cartoon face. They have fragrances branded by Dolly. Uh, they have pet clothes that she's branded with. Um, like just all kinds of things. She's not afraid to license her image. No, uh, for sure. We've got that um the Duncan Hines frosting in our pantry. Do you <laughs> the chocolate chocolate cream frosting? And then one other thing I saw, Chuck. She wrote a book. Co-wrote a book with James Patterson. One of the best, oh, wow. most favorite novelists in the entire world. It's called Run, Rose, Run. And it's a thriller based kind of loosely on Dolly's story of, of making it in the music biz. Oh, wow. Yeah, I is, think it just that, came out. Okay. I might have to check that out. Yeah. Uh, she is very charitable as well. She started the Dollywood Foundation in 1988 uh, just to get literacy going in her home county. And it grew and grew and grew to the point where it is now in the U.S., Canada, Australia, the U.K., and Ireland. And to date, uh, the program has given out more than 204 million books Man. across these countries. And, um, you know, she helped build a hospital in her county. Um, anytime there's, like, wildfires nearby, she's chipping in. Uh, she very famously donated a million dollars to Vanderbilt University Medical C- uh, Center for COVID-19 vaccine research. And, mm-hmm. you know... People don't credit her with the Moderna vaccine, but they're like, that million dollars was instrumental in getting that vaccine to trial. Well, yeah, she also was like, everybody go get jabbed. She, yeah. There was a video that went around of her um, getting her own um, vaccine, the first one, I think. Um, and she was singing vaccine to the tune of Jolene. <laughs> and, and pretty, saying, pretty nice tie-in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was great. So um, one other thing, though, about her foundation— I, one reason she got into literacy um, programs was because her father never learned to read. And apparently he told her just before he died that he was most proud of her for, for that work that she'd done with, with promoting oh. literacy around the world. It's, it's pretty Amazing. cool. It makes it even neater. Uh, and in addition to the vaccine Jolene song, she also did a version of uh, I Will Always Jab You. That <laughs> <It> was less <laughs> popular. Less popular. Sounds a little uh, aggressive. <laughs> She's been nominated for 53 Grammys, 53. Yeah. Uh, she's won 10, which I think that number should be higher. Uh, but, you know, they have given her, like, Lifetime Achievement Awards, and uh, Jolene and I Will Always Love You were inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. they have, like, heaped awards on her even when she has not won the actual Grammy. Uh, and she's also won an Emmy, right? She, yeah. She was also up for two Oscars for Best Song for um, oh, traveling through for Trans America in I think two thousand six, and then um, nine to five. The Did song. nine to five not win? 
No, it was beaten by Fame. Oh boy, that's and then a tough year. Traveling through was beaten by Hard Out There for a Pimp from yeah. Hustle and Flow. That's a good song too. How are you gonna top that? It's really hard. I was getting getting ready to trash whatever beat out nine to five, but yeah. Fame Fame is a great song. That's it, a that's that a tough a, year. That's a very tough year. But she also has two two Guinness World Records to her name, one of which is most decades with a top twenty hit. Which really just wow. goes to show how long she's been around and how long she's been huge. You know what else she has two of? What? Stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Two. I know. Is there anybody else who has that? I, I think so. People in different media, although uh, probably not a lot of people. I bet it's a pretty short list. Mm-hmm. Um, one in 1984 and then one in 2018 when uh, I guess the final trio of trio albums came out. So if you think Dolly's slowing down, Friend, you are dead wrong. Yep. She's got a new album coming out, so she was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame despite her protests. She's like, I'm not a rocker. Yeah. Apparently, she's like, all that. right, well, I better go be a rocker and earn that honor. Um, she's, so her next studio album, her 49th, is coming out, I think, this fall, um, and it's called Rockstar, and she's going to be singing with some other rock stars, too. Yeah, Stevie Nicks, uh, Paul McCartney, Cher. I love it. Yep. Vince Neil? No, not Vince Neil. That's correct, not Vince Neil. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. Um, you got anything else about Dolly Parton? Oh, I've got one other thing Let's hear before it. you answer. She wakes up at 3 a.m. every day. Oh. And just... Daughter of a sharecropper. Yeah, I guess so. That's amazing. Okay, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Okay, I don't either. I don't think. But I'm going to think of 10 things after we're done recording. I know. I'm going to, I've been listening to Dolly Parton all day, so it's going to continue on. Yeah. It's not hard to do. Uh, If you want to know more about Dolly Parton, friend, go listen to Dolly Parton. Go watch videos of Dolly Parton. Go read interviews with Dolly Parton. She was once described as a black belt interviewee. So you'll never be disappointed with a Dolly Parton interview. And since I said you'll never be disappointed by a Dolly Parton interview, that has opened up listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this great email follow-up from Arcades. Uh, hey, guys, want to tell you a story of my very traditional grandmother. Uh, she was very traditional in the Midwestern sense, and she was a homemaker. Oh, yeah. Kept books for my grandfather's iron-working concern. She didn't tolerate cussing or fussing and was a conservative dresser. She liked the calico. <laughs> she didn't have any, uh, have any obvious vices save one. Pac-Man. Oh, yeah? To hear her tell it, there was a time where she would wake up before her husband and five children, power up the Atari, and start a Pac-Man game. <laughs> After 30 minutes or so, she would get breakfast on the table, get her family out the door, and do the books, clean the house, and then finally get back to her paused Pac-Man game, which she would play until it was time to start dinner when her family came back home. That's awesome. She had Pac-Man fever. That's good. Uh, wouldn't be much of a story, guys, except here's the thing. She was really, really good at Pac-Man. Oh, yeah. She once told me she had the first 40-something levels memorized and could use them to rack up points and then uh, thus extra lives. She got to a point where she could play the same game all day long. Eventually, she would describe getting to a high enough level where the game would freeze. Oh. And what she was describing was level 256, the kill screen. Mm-hmm. But since she was home alone every time she reached it and the internet wasn't a household thing, no one ever knew what she was talking about. She <laughs> just ran out the door uh, and be like, somebody, anybody, <laughs> come look. Uh, it was until many years later that I saw King of Kong and saw the footage of the kill screen my grandmother had described. Couldn't believe my eyes or the fact that my conservative grandmother was such an early skilled gamer. That's neat. She since passed away, but every time the subject of Pac-Man comes up, mm-hmm. brings a smile to my face, and I remember her and her high scores. Uh, that is from Aaron Miller of Kansas City, the Kansas side. Oh, that's rare. You don't usually hear from those people. Kansas side. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Aaron. That's a fantastic story. I'm glad you could smuggle that message out of the Kansas side of Kansas City to us. And if you want to be like Aaron and get in touch however way you can, try putting it in an email, sending it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at Canva.com. Design for work. Just go to Canva, C-A-N-V-A.com.